Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the hearts with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who... Holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Amen. Please be seated. Being a pastor, I have the joy and challenge of walking with couples as they go through marital difficulties And I will say from the onset that we all have marital difficulties and challenges. Anyone that is or says that they do not is just, quite frankly, not married, right? In fact, one of the things that I often have to convince young, engaged couples when they come in for premarital counseling is that they are going to have problems and that that is not abnormal, Because so often they come in starry-eyed and think, us, problems? No, never. And I have to tell them, no, you will. Because when you take one sinner and put them together with another sinner in a close context, there's not always harmony and bliss, is there? Oftentimes there is more sin. And then when you add little sinnerlings to the mix... You have a recipe for chaos. And so I tried to teach them in this premarital counseling how to love and to have forgiveness towards one another. And that how marriage is going to be one of the greatest ways that God sanctifies you. As you learn to die to self and lay down your life for your spouse. But as I said, that often takes convincing, and it doesn't just take convincing of those that are about to be married. Sometimes it takes convincing of those that have been married for many years. I've had many in my office that are going through various difficulties, some with tears in their eyes, and wondering if they can really make this work, if they can really live with this spouse that they are married to them. And oftentimes they they talk about the challenges they have. And oftentimes when they're talking about the challenges they have, it's always focused on the other spouse. 
And I'll have to stop them and say, and what about you? What problems are you contributing to the breakdown in your marriage? And oftentimes I'll get that look, that look like, wait, me? No, my spouse is the problem. It's the woman that the Lord has given to me. Or the man that the Lord has given to me, not I. And that is human nature, is it not? It's easy to see the wrongs of others, but very difficult to see our own. And this morning, Peter puts women, specifically wives, in his sight. And now let me say at the very beginning, it would be very easy for you as a woman, you as a wife, to be put off, say, here's a man telling me what to do. Not sure that I like that. And how about men? How about my husband? Does he get a pass? Well, no, he doesn't get a pass. With missions conference next week, we will see the role of men and specifically husbands in two weeks. But this morning, the the word does come to you. And upon you, ladies. And so my encouragement to you is not to try to resist it, not to try to dodge it, not to dismiss it, but to take the full fullness of it upon yourself. Because ultimately this isn't my word or the word of a mere man, that of Peter, but this is the word of God. This is the word of the one who created you, who made you, the one who knows what is best. And he indeed is our Lord. So as we go into any preaching and any teaching, as much as this is the word of the Lord, let us always say, let me have ears to hear. And let me not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of it as well. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we see it in two points, the call of a Christian wife, and second, the beauty of a godly woman. First, the call of a Christian wife. Earlier we read from Psalm 128, that psalm is a song of a scent, it's a part of the pilgrimage that the Jews would make as they would go up to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms as a part of their spiritual preparation. And Psalm 128, as we heard it, talks about the blessing of a godly home, and he likens it, the psalmist likens it to a good harvest. When he says, you shall eat of the fruit of your labor. Notice that it takes labor, doesn't it? But if you put that labor into your home, into your family, you shall be well blessed, he says. And this is so true, is it not? That there is no greater blessing than a God-honoring home with a God-honoring marriage and family. Not a perfect one, because there is no such thing. But as mentioned, god Honoring, one that is trying to live according to the commands of God. And the opposite is also true. 
But there's probably nothing, nothing worse than a home that is in chaos or in upheaval. In fact, if all things are going well, your work, your career, you're overall having success, but if your home life is not good, all of those things hardly matter because of the discord in your own marriage, in your own home. And so what Peter is saying here in this passage and the passage to come for both wives as well as for husbands is so vitally important. And as I said before, he begins with wives, but this is not just a message for wives. Men, as mentioned before, you'll have your time, and so you're being put on notice now. Don't try to weasel your way out. Mark it on your calendars. Be here. But even more, everything that I say this morning even applies to you. It applies to you not only because most likely you are either married and you need to know the way to pray for your wife and encourage her, or even if you're not married, married, you need to know how to encourage the wives of this congregation. But even more than that, everything I say about women also applies to you in the way that we are to submit to Christ. Yes, because the Bible says that we corporately and individually, both male and female, are the brides of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so the women are called to no more than what we are called to in Christ. In fact, just a little preview for two weeks. Our wives, the women of this church, should have an example in us, in our submission, first and foremost, to Christ. And for those women and young ladies in this church that are single or unmarried, and I say this as a father of two daughters, I want you to see this morning the high calling of being a Christian wife. Not just when you get married, but now. So as to rightfully prepare and to even pray, so that if God would lead you into that, you would know what is expected as a God-honoring woman, as a Christian wife. Like I said, even for you ladies that perhaps were married, perhaps now a widow, Even this word is to you, because we are always, as I said, part of the bride of Christ. But I'll begin here. Women, you are the glue of the home. You are the ones that keep the entire family connected and together. And as a result, families, generally speaking, will take on the dynamic of the woman in the home of the wife. You are the cultural setters in the home. Yes, men have a calling to be the head, to to be the leaders, and that is essential, but a woman makes a home. And that has nothing to do with decorations or decor per se. But they make the home in the sense that either it will be a place of peace and love and joy, or it will be a piece of havoc and chaos. It will be either a haven of nurture and rest 
for our family or it will be a hornet's nest. You want your home, specifically for your family, to be a place that people want to come in, that they want to go to. And upon coming in, they go, breathe deeply of this breath of fresh air because of the culture within your home. You don't want your home to be like that of East L.A. on a hot summer day. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm speaking of. Not only is it a chaotic place, but it's hot and it's smoggy and you feel like you can't breathe and you think, get me out of here. And so what does the Bible say to us this morning with what type of home, what type of marriage you should have and specifically your role in that marriage? Well, Peter begins right from the very beginning. Verse 1, wives, be subject to your own husband. Be submissive to your husband. And as soon as I say that, you almost expect alarms to go off and for the PC, the politically correct police, to come marching in and say, you can't say that, especially in the 21st century. I oftentimes find it very interesting in this day and age to do weddings. And obviously in weddings you have a very mixed crowd some that are part of this church, some that have never darkened the door of a church. For some, hearing these biblical texts for the very first time, texts such as this one in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. And sometimes you visibly see the disdain for the Word of God in their looks and in the eye rolls. The rolling of eyes. That look that says this is so archaic. So early first century. Does he not know what century we live in? I always want to stop. I haven't yet. I probably shouldn't. And you wouldn't want me to if it was your wedding. But I always want to stop and say, you know what, you're right. We have evolved and matured so much in this area, haven't we? That we don't need these outdated words anymore because our culture really has perfected love and marriage and relationships, haven't we? We're passing with such flying colors. And you can sense the sarcasm in my voice, can't you? Especially in a world where divorce is so prevalent and the majority of marriages now will end in separation and in divorce. We may want to stop and rethink. Perhaps we should adopt some of these more quote-unquote archaic ways in our culture and in our day. And indeed, they are not archaic at all. They are fresh and alive because they are the word of God. And so they are the foundation for our feet and thus the foundation for our marriages. 
And so the scripture says, wives, be subject, be submissive. And yet, since this is so distorted in our day and age, let me give you a few qualifiers of what this does not mean. This does not mean that a woman is to be browbeaten or in a physically abusive relationship. It doesn't. That would violate the other commands of Scripture. If any man physically abuses a woman, the police should be called. That man should be arrested and put in jail. And so don't try to put that upon the Word of God or upon this text because it is not there. Second, this does not mean that a woman is to be subject to all men. Notice what Peter says. Be subject to your own husband. Not all. Just to your own husband. Third, this does not mean that you do not have a voice or an opinion. That you don't use your gifts or your talents. It also does not mean that you are inferior in any way. Men and women have equality. We are equal in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, within that equality, there is distinction. Distinction within our roles. That the wife is to submit to her husband. That is a part of her distinction, a part of her role. And if you think that is demeaning, then you need not look any further than the Godhead Godhead himself. That all three persons of the Godhead are equally God. And yet they have distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And part of that distinction is submission. That the Son submits to the Father and the Holy Spirit submits to the Father and to the Son. And so in this way, our roles in marriage reflect the Imago Dei. We reflect the image of God. We reflect our triune God. And so don't try to say that this somehow demeans us or demeans you as a woman. No more that Christ is demeaned in His role as the Son or the Holy Spirit in His role to the Father and to the Son. In fact, there is no other religious belief that has done more for women's rights than Christianity. In fact, we have these rights in America because of our Christian roots. Not in spite of them, but because of them. But we also need to be aware of the danger of feminism and egalitarianism that wants to erase any distinction between the roles at all between the sexes. That's where we have to stop and say, no, that goes too far. That there is beauty in diversity. That there is beauty within the sexes. That men are to be men and women are to be women. And we are not to blur those distinctions because they are God-given, especially in marriage. That we are stronger together because of our distinctions, Because of our differences. That God didn't give us men and women so that we can be equally the same. He gave us men and women so that we can be equally different. And yet together come and be stronger together. And the more that we lessen our distinctions, we weaken marriage and the family as a whole, which is the bedrock of our society. 
And I think we're seeing the crippling effects of that today. But for Christian women, it goes even further. You're to be subject to submit just as Christ was subject. Just as Christ submitted his entire life. Notice how Peter begins this passage. He begins with that word that connects what he said before to what now he says with that word, likewise. And what he said before is that in this you have been called. Called to be subjected. Called to be a servant. And in this sense you are to follow the example of of the Lord Jesus Christ. He even goes on to say that you are to follow in his steps. And that example that was left by our Lord was that of servanthood. And that you are called to be a servant. This is true of all Christians, as we have mentioned before. But especially of wives in the home that you are called to be a servant to your husband and even to your children. Not as a slave to a master. No, but as a wife, as a helpmate to her husband. And being a servant in the context of marriage is not often thought of or even spoken about, but it should. It really gives a a good summary of how you should see your role in your marriage. In the way that you should demonstrate your love. Jesus says there is no greater love than this that one laid down his life for his friends. Who is your greatest friend? It ought to be your husband. And so if we're going to demonstrate love, we need to lay down our lives for the sake of that friend. And you do that through your service, through your submission. That is the main way of demonstrating your love. The main way of demonstrating how you honor your husband in the context of marriage. And so submitting means that you are not the head. That you do not wear the pants, as they say. But you leave the leadership and headship to your husbands. And I know that we want to kill this with a thousand qualifiers and a thousand what-if scenarios, and we could. But at the end of the day, the word of God is still the same. We can't get around it. Wives, be subject, be submissive to your husbands. And in that way, we are going to be countercultural. We are going to stand out. There is going to be a difference. But in that, you have an opportunity to demonstrate why. Because ultimately you're submitted not just to your husband, but to Christ. Who is so much greater. And so what does this mean? Well, Peter gives an example of Sarah. And you remember Sarah, the the wife of Abraham. And it says this in verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And now I know what you're thinking. 
Does this mean that I need to call my husband my Lord? No, it does not. And men, if you require that, you might just get a skillet upside the head. And it might be justifiable. No, you do not need to call your husband my Lord. But you know what is as probably as difficult as calling him my Lord? It is saying, yes, dear. When you disagree. Or perhaps need to hold your tongue. Instead of biting back. During times when you perhaps have had a discussion, perhaps things have gotten intense, perhaps you're trying to figure out something, you've said your point, you've made your opinion clear, and still your husband does not agree or wants to go in a different direction. Those are the moments when it's difficult, but... The word of God would say that we are to say, yes, I'll follow your decision. I will listen to your leadership. I will follow you in the direction that you are trying to take us as a family. And this shouldn't be all of the time. In fact, this should be pretty rare. Men, if you're using the headship card, the trump card on a a weekly or monthly basis, then I would say that you're probably being more authoritarian, authoritarian than you are showing true leadership and love towards your wife. Because most of the time, you should be on the same page. You should be in agreement together. But there are those rare occasions that we are called to submit. And to do so willingly unto the Lord. And sometimes... You're going to be called to submit to things that your husband doesn't even recognize or doesn't even notice. By the way that you don't say something. Or perhaps in the way that you conduct yourself, as this scripture says, with a a quiet and gentle spirit through simple acts of service and in help. In supporting and encouraging his leadership. Through that respectful and pure conduct, Peter says in verse 2. Whereas in Titus, when Paul instructs the older women to teach the younger women to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be workers within the home, to be kind, to be submissive to their own husbands. And Paul goes on to say, so that the word of God may not be reviled but you are demonstrate your godliness in the context of your marriage and that is where i think the example of sarah is so helpful if you go back to genesis chapter 12 where god calls abraham by all indications it was a call only to abraham that he was to leave his land to go to an unknown place because The Lord was calling him to do so. And there we read that Abraham took not only himself, but his wife and his whole household and went and did what the Lord 
told him to do. But can you imagine how that conversation went between Abraham and Sarah? We're going where? To an unknown land that will be shown to us. To do what? Well, I'm not sure. Why are we doing this? Because God told me to. I think all of us would say, Abe, you are certifiably crazy. And on top of that, Sarah at that time was 65 and Abraham was 75. They had lived their entire life in that place and now they're supposed to leave that all behind to go to the unknown. And hypothetically speaking, what would have happened if Sarah said no? Humanly speaking, all would have been lost. There would be no Genesis. There would be no Exodus. There would be no nation of Israel. And ultimately, there would be no Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I understand the Lord still can accomplish his purposes even through the disobedience of one person. But my point is this. That was not her response. Sarah clearly puts her with herself within the covenant line because of her submission, because of her obedience, because she said, yes, my Lord, and went. And through herself and through her husband, all the families of the earth have been blessed. That there is always blessing in obedience. Always. In your home, in your marriage, and far beyond. Proverbs 31 says of that godly woman that her husband and children will rise up and call her blessed because she has lived her life in a way of being a blessing to them. And so Peter goes on to say here that you are daughters of Sarah if you have such obedience and such Submission. You're ultimately daughters of Christ. And there's no more beautiful distinction than that when you follow his lead, atoned with his blood that came from his submission. Well, second and very quickly then, you see the beauty of a godly woman. That when God created the world, out of all the things that he created, I think we can say, that he saved the best for last in the creation of woman. In what is to be seen as perhaps the crowning jewel of creation itself. As she was created because of a need. Because the Lord saw and said, it's not good that man be alone. And yet God did not make another man. He didn't make another animal or a dog to accompany man? No, he made a woman to be a helper, to be one that would come alongside. And one that does that, there is no greater beauty on this earth. Nothing more attractive than that. That every man would say, especially every Christian man, that is what I want. That is what I desire more than anything. The scripture says that is worth more than gold. Far better than rubies. 
far more than external beauty, far more than riches or possession. But to have a woman that is first and foremost submitted to Christ and then submitted to her role in marriage as a helper and as a helpmate. As Peter says, that is the true adorning of a godly woman. Peter says, don't let your adorning be external. What I think he means by that is don't let it be merely external. I think everyone would say external does matter. Everyone appreciates. When a woman keeps up her outward appearance, just as a man should as well, and that there's nothing wrong with nice clothes and and jewelry and doing your hair and perfume and all of those things that we love about an attractive woman. As R.C. Sproul says, and as only R.C. can say, godliness doesn't mean dowdiness. But what Peter is saying is of greater importance is that which is on the inside, the hidden person of the heart, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, of a contented heart, heart that is submitted and subjected to the Lord uses her life in holy service to Christ and to his saints. And why is that? Because as Peter says, that is of imperishable beauty. That is a a beauty that will never fade. That is a godliness that will shine through. And like a fine wine, it only gets better with age. As Peter says, that is precious. It's precious in the sight of God. And it's precious in the sight of man too. And even if no one notices, even if your own husband is too ignorant to notice the preciousness of that in his own life, in his own marriage, it does not go unnoticed by God your Father. He calls that precious in his sight. Again, as we have been seeing, this is a manifestation of Christ and the gospel. It is an adornment of the gospel at work in your life. So much so that Peter says here, even if your husbands do not obey, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What Peter is saying, ladies, and and this is true of all of us, that our conduct is a greater testimony than even what we say and what comes out of our lips of what we truly believe. And there is no greater testing ground than that of our marriage. That is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. And so what is it that others see in our life by our holy conduct? Do our daughters, do our granddaughters have a model of faith and practice in the way that you conduct yourself. Do our children as a whole, as we call them to honor and submit to us, do they see how that should be done in the way that you demonstrate it in your own marriage? To those in the outside world that, as I mentioned before, have no clue about love and marriage and relationships, see something different in your marriage. Do they see a joy, a hope, a peace in your home that is not in their own? 
Do they see in our marriages the model for a a greater marriage, a greater love? the, The love that we have, the marriage that we have to Christ as a church. As I said, this subjection, this submission goes so much further than just marriage. It's the call of the Christian life. And I'll close this way. We have so many precious women in this church. I mean that in all honesty. That embody this message. And your beauty radiates. It fills this place. Because you are true daughters of Sarah. You are true daughters of God your Father. You're true daughters of Christ. And this day, we rise up and call you blessed. And so much as you adorn this message, this message that is put before you this day, Christ would rise up and call you blessed as well. Amen. Let us go to the Lord even now. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are truly the great God and Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that through you we are made sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray for the daughters of this church, both young and old, Lord, that they first and foremost would be subject and submitted to you, even as they see this in black and white in the word of God, that they would say, yes, this is your word, O Lord. Let me live it out by your Holy Spirit. May it be a part of my life. May that beauty shine forth even greater than my external beauty. May that be of greater importance and of worth to me even as it is to you, O Lord. We thank you, O God, that you help us and enable us to keep your word by your spirit. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.